And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It's Wednesday. It's smoke, mirrors, and the truth with Bruce Anderson. And he's back. He's back. You know, he was going to be back. From Scotland, but I got him to stay because I wanted to talk about something that involves the UK in comparison with North America, Canada included. And so we got him to stay an extra week before he comes home. You know, Peter, it's been hard too because every day after you left, as you know, I would get up, I would go downtown in downtown, beautiful downtown Dornock, which you know, people might want to know is like 1400 people. It's not very big, but everybody knows everybody there and everybody would come up to me and they say, well, where's the other guy? Where is the other guy? Where is that other guy? Where's your kind of older brother, uncle, whatever. Like, where (laughs) is he gone? Is he coming back? Is he, does he, is he missing us? And so I've had those conversations. That's been hard for me. I, and, but they're looking forward to you coming back sometime. I'll be back. uh, I'll be back. I'll be back in the summer for a little bit. You know, I'll be sharing my summer as I like to do and as you like to do. Uh, a little bit of Scotland, a little bit of Gatineau Hills, north of Ottawa, a little bit of traveling in our great nation. Yeah. And then uh, slip back to Scotland for some. Uh, Going to go to the, I've the been Open. i here so long, though. Going to go to the so Open at St. Andrews. Going to go to the Open at St. Andrews. so long that I wanted to to encourage you not to say, and Bruce is still in Scotland because I've been feeling a little guilty about, you know, I, I was posting nice pictures of Scotland the first couple of weeks that we were here. And then I started to slow the roll with the posting of the pictures so that people didn't get like, uh, I've had enough of this guy, the life that he's living right now. And I don't want to see any more of it. And so there's only been a few pictures and there'll only be a few more before we're back next week, but it's been a great, um, a great trip. And as you know, um, I'm coming up to one of those milestone birthdays uh, next week. And it was a really important thing for me to do to get away after the um, pandemic with my wife and just spend some time kind of doing different things and, and thinking about the next several years and, and how I want to spend them. So thanks for indulging me and the bad sound occasionally. And let's, uh, let's talk about what you want to talk about. Well, you, you know, you're not supposed to say milestone anymore, right? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I knew there were lots of things you're not supposed to say, but I didn't know about that one. Well, it, it's, it's, you know, we went metric about 30 years ago or whenever it was. So it's, now, it's right. a kilometer stone now. You sound like that guy who said to people dumb or people kind or something like that. I don't think you want that on the record. <laughs> so, I mean, they, got, they, they tried to get me. This was a long time ago. It actually happened. They tried to get me to change my, you know, some guy or some, I think it was a woman, actually. It was it ran a special kind of language usage department or something at the CBC and said, <laughs> you can't, you've got to change from man's bridge to person's bridge. Person's bridge. And I thought it was a joke, right? They actually, they were actually serious. No, that can't, that can't be serious. Oh, yeah, they were. They were. You're going to get mail now. I am going to get mail. And, you know, probably from her. She's going to say, you never did it. You never changed your name and you should have. Well, there's still time. 
That is not what we were gathered here for today. Here's where, here's what I'd like to talk about and get your sense from. Um, people tend to forget, but it's it's been a dozen years since in Canada they tried out a right wing television news network. It was called Sun TV. Remember, it's well, I think Quebec or owned it, and they started it. It lasted almost four years till 2015, but it never took off. It just, there, there was not an audience for it. I mean, the other cable news channels uh, on the English side anywhere on a national basis were CBC News Network and um, uh, CTV's uh, news network. And they kind of had the majority of the audience between the two of them. Uh, not a big audience for either one of them, but nevertheless, they had an audience. Um, but Sun TV just couldn't get in there, and they had, you know, they had a tiny audience somewhere, you know, at times like six or 7,000 viewers nationally. That was it. Anyway, they went for f- four years, almost a full four years, reportedly lost $50 million dollars. And they shut her down. They finally said, okay, uncle, we can't do this anymore. Uh, this is just a license to lose money. Um, and we were wrong. We thought it would work in Canada. It works in the States, Fox News. Um, in fact, Fox News is the number one uh, cable news networks and at times the number one network overall for certain big things that are happening. Um, anyway, it didn't work in Canada. So I think most of us would have thought, oh, well, I, there must be a long history of, you know, kind of right-wing television networks in the United Kingdom, in Britain. But in fact, there hasn't been until the last year or so, when two have started. GB News, and they had a big kind of launch because they got Andrew Neil, who used to be at the BBC, as a great presenter, Great interviewer. He was going to be the, their their number one figure. He, he ended up quitting like two months two months in because he, he he just said it was a gong show the way they were running it. Um, and then there's Talk TV with Pierce Morgan, who has kind of a worldwide reputation, not necessarily a good one, but he's had big audiences when he was at uh, the private channels in in Britain, and he was came over to the states. He he did some TV in, in the States. I think he worked for CNN. Wasn't he the replacement for Larry King? Anyway, it didn't work. Yeah. Didn't work. He goes, he goes and he starts this after leaving whatever it was, ITV or BBC, where he was on the morning show, after he uh, kind of dumped on Meghan Markle. And, and so they, there was a dispute and he quit. And he ends up joining Talk TV as the big name. Started off a couple of months ago, he had an audience, 300,000, which isn't great in Britain, but nevertheless, it was, it was a start. But it, wasn't, it was a start that plummeted then, and now it's kind of under 100,000 and gets terrible reviews. So the question becomes, you know, obviously I was wrong in thinking that Britain was fertile ground for that kind of thing, given its, you know, newspaper history and its you know, like flamboyant 
characters within the, within the media. I thought it was fertile ground for a television of that kind. Mm-hmm. But so far, at least, it hasn't been. So what is the lesson in all this after that long <laughs> introduction? What, what do you make of all this? Well, I don't think that we'll know uh, for some time exactly what's happening because the media landscape is so much one of transition that how differently people will use different platforms is part of the mix, not just what kind of content will they consume. So with that caveat, what are some things that occur to me? First of all, is the question of scale. The Canadian experiment with Sun TV uh, suffered from many problems, but one of which was the size of the Canadian marketplace is just not all that big. I mean, there's 37 million adults, I guess, and uh, how many of them would have a cable subscription and be interested in watching that gets you down to a number that's relatively small, relatively quickly, especially when you compare it to the U.S. Second thing about the U.S. conservative market, um, we can leave aside the MSNBC version on the left for a moment, but American politics is so dominated by the role of money. Um, you know, candidates raise a ton of money, advertisers use platforms aimed at conservative and liberal politicians to try to get their attention. And so there's a big advertiser market that supports that kind of platform in America. And there's a bigger consumer market of people that are interested in that kind of content just by virtue of the size of the U.S. population. The U.K. market, of course, is is kind of in the middle, but towards the Canadian Aside in terms of the size of the marketplace. And so it's a question of, can they get to scale? Are there uh, competing uh, sources of information or news that are harder to push out uh, in order to, to kind of replace them and to win that share? I think those are, those are important dynamics here. But the two most interesting questions for me are uh, in the UK specifically, are people uh, not interested in that kind of right-wing, um, I would call it pseudo-journalism, the journalism that's not really about reporting the news, but really opining about current events? And, um, the, you know, the answer to that question, I guess, is that he's still to, waiting to be told. I mean, we know that conservative owners of the media, that's not a problem in the UK. Some 75% of, Ameri- of British newspapers are owned by conservative billionaires, basically. Um, And so um, the idea of conservative media or conservative owned or tilted media isn't necessarily anathema to that British public. On the other hand, we do see there's a very strong kind of labor uh, vote in the UK. Um, Every time there's a strong kind of uh, push by the right wing in, uh, in the UK, there's a pretty strong push by the left. And, um, And so I don't know whether or not um, we're going to see a competing version. It looks to me like the business model hasn't proven out. So I don't think we're going to see the left money rushing in to compete in that kind of talk radio, talk TV scenario. But I I guess I also wonder whether or not the yelly aspect of that kind of uh, speech talk, talk radio, talk TV, whatever you want to call it, um, whether that really appeals in the UK. I don't think it really appeals in Canada very much. I think that um, 
the question of how much it appeals in the U.S. is maybe more a question of, is their culture a little bit more interested in it? Is it more of a, a kind of a sporting event um, with the addition of, you know, these are the biggest kind of ideological uh uh, factions that you can find I- anywhere in kind of modern democracy. Whereas I think in Canada, we're, we see a little bit of that kind of pugilism and we don't like it very much. And maybe in the UK, it's the same thing that you can read stories written for conservative newspapers, but watching people yell and do the things on camera that a Pierce Morgan does, you know, a little bit of it goes a long way. So uh, that's my feeling is that right now the the question of the what kind of entertainment value it is and do people want that sort of entertainment is a bigger question than whether they'll hear or read right wing uh, positions and takes on the news. I, I, I find that uh, I find that argument. Um, what's the word I always use <laughs> with you? I, I find that argument interesting and uh, you know, and I'm uh, I want to think about it for a little while. I mean, I guess one of the reasons I was surprised was if you take the last 40 years, which is basically the 40 years you're talking about in the in the way the media landscape is transitioning. If you take those last 40 years um, in in Britain, it's been mostly conservative governments, right? You start with Thatcher and those who followed Thatcher after she was dumped. And then you've got Tony Blair for, you know, not a short time, a considerable amount of time, but that was it for labor. And since then it's been conservatives, uh, one coalition government, but not with labor. Um, So you've had a lot of those on the right calling the shots in terms of government, not the, you know, not the yelling right, although some of them Mm -hmm. clearly are. Uh, but it has been basically a country, as opposed to Canada, which is, we know our history. I mean, it, it's mostly liberal governments have dominated in Canada over the 155, whatever number of years. Um, but I guess that, that surprised me a little bit. I, I mean, I was, you know, almost shocked when I read these stories. I, I agree with you that it may be too early to make a determination because a lot of money backing these things, um, and they're, they're not going to throw in the towel yet. But I, I was more than surprised when I, when I see these numbers about a very low audience rating. Now, one of the arguments, aside from the political one that they put out there, Wait, you know, here, let me do this first. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back and I'll play this argument because I think it's a good one and, and one that, uh, that you'd like to work on um, in terms of discussions about the media as you've done in the past. So let me bring that. But first of all, this quick break. Welcome back, Peter Mansbridge uh, in Stratford, Ontario. Bruce Anderson in Dornick, Scotland, for his last appearance for this uh, this actual time period from Scotland. Uh, you're listening to The Bridge, Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth, the Wednesday episode with Bruce. And you're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks. 
or on your favorite podcast platform. And we welcome you from wherever you may be listening from. Okay, here's the other, the other argument that I've seen as to why this is not, this is kind of right-wing talk television in, in the UK is not going over well with, and in, in, in spite of kind of two channels. One, one clearly set to be right-wing, the other sort of center-right. The argument is this. It's based on the kind of history that this, the, the Brits have with the BBC. And in spite of, you know, arguments about the future of the CBC, how much there is the BBC and <laughs> Freudian slip there, um, uh, the future of the BBC and how much it's costing uh, the nation and whether or not that should be pulled back. In spite of all those things, the BBC has a pretty good history in that in that country, and there's an affection for the BBC that kind of crosses a lot of political boundaries. Um, and so the argument that's being placed is that the BBC had earned a reputation, not by everybody, but a general reputation as a fact-based news organization, as opposed to an opinion-based news organization. And that that still exists today, and that's the reason why Brits are not flocking to these new uh, methods of, of, of news distribution and discussion, but are kind of staying with the older versions. And there's, you know, like, it's not just the BBC, the Sky News. I mean, there are other news organizations who deal in news all the time, but from a fact based area yeah look i i think the uh the question for me peter comes down to the appetite for sensationalism and whether or not it transfers the same way from print and we know that there's sensational tabloid media in the uk that are extraordinarily successful and they've built their entire business model on putting things on the front page that shock and uh, sometimes appall, uh, but are controversial. That's basically what they're doing is trying to find the most controversial thing that they could put in front of people in order to sell newspapers. And it's been a very successful business model for, for companies here for some time. I don't know whether or not shock radio has had the success in the UK that it's had in the U S um, from what I could tell in the amount of time that I've had to kind of research this a little bit, I would say it hasn't. And Shock TV, which is the sibling, uh, also is what looks like it's not working here. Um, and I don't know whether or not it's because people just never got accustomed to uh, kind of tuning into that kind of thing because it wasn't really available in the same way that it was in the U.S. or whether this is a different kind of cultural attitude. But I can't come to the conclusion that uh, the, the British people don't like controversy and shock in their news media. What I think is more clear is that the version of irate and annoying, which is typically the, you know, what happens when you put a Piers Morgan um, on, you're basically betting on irate and annoying is going to, you know, draw people to the channel, to the program over and over and over again. They're going to, he's going to be irate and, um, 
maybe he's going to annoy you or you're irate and uh, and you want to kind of share your annoyance with him in terms of watching this uh, this programming together. But it's it's all about that kind of chemistry that is so often imbued in the host and the relationship between the host and the audience. And so I don't know if Pierce Morgan is a good um, test case. Uh, I know that he was very controversial with the remarks that he made about Meghan Markle and the, and, you know, basically got him, well, he marched himself off the set of the last TV program that he was on before this. Um, and, you know, has doubled down on those comments since. And, and I don't know whether or not he doubles down on them because he really believes in them or whether or not he just knows that that was really good for the Pierce Morgan brand because all of a sudden everybody was talking about him again uh, in many parts of the world. But the format for him and the format that MSNBC used um, in, in part, thanks to Donald Trump, was really more akin to reality TV. It was creating something where the viewer understood that the unexpected might happen, the shocking might happen, the somebody was going to say something that you never thought anybody would say on a formal media platform like that. And uh, I think there's a huge market, obviously, in that for the U.S. continues to be. And the ratings kind of soften when the shock aspect of it goes away. And when Donald Trump isn't as prominent, for example, or there isn't somebody as shocking as Donald Trump, and hard to imagine that that there are many that could fill that bill. I don't know if Nigel Farage here uh, fits that bill. It doesn't seem to me as though he's that vividly and constantly entertaining. Um, and the last thing I was reading this morning about this, I'd be interested in your take on this is that the theory that people have been through a rough patch and they see a lot of problems. They see climate change. They see the war in Ukraine. They see the pandemic. They, uh, see problems in the economy, inflation is going up, food prices and gas prices, and it's not a time for circus-like entertainment. It's a time for gutting it out. Um, it's a time for just give me the news. Don't um, don't don't try to torture me into consuming your political entertainment, if I can put it that way. That 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 market does better when everybody is relatively comfortable and well off and not that worried about just getting through, uh, but worried about, you know, the ideology that isn't mine is getting ahead of the ideology that is mine. And I don't know whether that's really a factor. I can, I can see that it could be for some people that their tolerance for stress is down because the amount of stress in their lives is better. Uh, I think I mentioned to you the other day that uh, my wife and I, for the first time, are having trouble agreeing on what to watch on Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of these uh, services because in the post-pandemic world, she's like, I don't want to watch anything that's stressful, that's got violence in it, that's uh, that's going to scare me. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's too bad that Amazon and Netflix and everybody didn't know the pandemic was coming because it feels like they ordered seventy billion dollars worth of dystopian drama, uh, and it just all started arriving right when we didn't really want to consume it. So anyway, that's the last theory that I read that I was interested in. I I, I wonder what you think about that. I think that's uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
the Canadian angle to it, though, seems a little different than you know the the discussion here. I I, I think you're right. I think you've got something here. The, the the what people seem to be interested in is not the reality TV aspect of news. Um, it's this you know serious discussion about options and solutions and reasons uh, that uh, sometimes lead themselves from the serious to the conspiracy uh, theorist uh, argument. But they're all kind of lumped in in, in in a way that's not the reality sense, the screaming and yelling and the performance uh, fashion for some hosts. I mean, you mentioned Farage. Uh, Nigel Farage, who was you know one of the leaders of the Brexit movement, in fact, an early leader, um, a, 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 until Boris Johnson and others decided, hey, he's got something there, and it's working, and let's get in there and get it. But he's still around, and he is he's a Trumpian type figure, right? I mean, he's a pal of Trump, so they, he goes back and forth to the states to, to see Trump. He's been brought in to try and salvage. The GB News uh, channel, but how well that'll do, I you know I, I I'm not sure. But I think in yeah. Canada's different right now because there is this whole issue and argument surrounding you know conspiracy theories, whether it's about vaccines, whether it's about uh, the government, whether it's about the use of emergency powers, or whether it's uh, all of this stuff. Um, that is, you know, partly conspiracy theories, partly just a belief that, you know, they they went too far. And uh, in that argument, which needs the media to push it out um, in, in, in different ways, that argument seems to actually be taking hold a little more than we might have thought it was uh, a month or two months ago. I mean, you see it more often. You see it now surrounding the, when are these mandates ever going to end? You know, forget about the argument about mandates from three months ago. What about now? Like, why are we still doing all the things we do on airplanes? Why is there such chaos in the airports? Because, you know, they, they're short-staffed or they laid off people and never got them back. And it's, you know, I, I mean, I... I, I look forward to what your experience is going to be when you come home in the next few days because there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people at major airports in Canada who can't even get their bags, right? I mean, it's just, it's a mess. And yeah. the government's saying, eh, it's going to be a mess for a while. And people don't get it. They don't understand it. And they're demanding real answers, not uh, not reality TV <laughs> on uh, yeah. on their news channels. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that that there's a practicality to a lot of issues now that lends itself not to people just um, adopting these kind of personas, these characters, and kind of duking it out for the performative value of it, but actually, what is it going to take to make those airports work efficiently? What do we need to know, if anything, about monkeypox? What is the next step with respect to vaccination of kids? Where are we going on our relationship with uh, Russia? Um, I found myself listening to the conversation that we had about Huawei last Friday. And, 
you know, we were talking about the nature of the decision and what went into it and why it took longer than some people thought it would. And even as I reflected on it after I thought, and this is really just, uh, I guess, a function of the fact that I spent years in the polling business, that most people would be completely disinterested in that conversation. Okay, you made a decision, you explained why, move on. What's next? What do you need my attention for, if anything? And if you don't need it for something really important, let me focus on my stuff, on my life, on my kids, on my family, on my job, whatever it is that I'm focused on. So I don't think this is as good a time for the performative, annoying, irate, gesticulating, Piers Morgan, Donald Trump, type figures, um, because I do think people look at it and say, at the end of the day, much of it is just a form of entertainment. People trying to make money by making you kind of hysterical or uh, offended or uh, energized. And I don't think that, uh, you know, that may come back. I mean, there was a reason why it was a big thing and it has been a big thing. And to some parts of the world, it still is a big thing. But this feels like a gutted out year or two uh, with inflation and interest rates going up and with the economy in some question and um, and with politics, global politics, geopolitics, kind of less certain. That said, that 20% or so, and we'll have more data to report on this in the next week or two, Peter, I've done a really interesting bunch of work with David Coletto over the weekend. We've been exploring how many people in Canada believe things like the Royal family killed princess Diana, that nine 11 was a inside job that Bill Gates is putting chips in people to monitor and affect their behavior. Um, that, um, well, I think we did 12 different, uh, of the most popularly talked about conspiracy theories. There's a market for that. That is sizable enough to support some, uh, in quotation marks, air quotes, news organizations. Uh, but it's not that big. It's certainly not that big in Canada. And and hopefully it, it doesn't get big. Well, I don't know why you have to ask those questions. <laughs> the answer is yes on all of them, obviously. We didn't ask the Elvis one, but we asked, uh, you know, you're going to be surprised. Elvis is still alive. He lives in Tweed, Ontario. He's pretty old, Peter. If he, he is, is old. Pretty old. Yes, Bob Dylan. Refresh. Bob Dylan turned eighty. Playlist. Bob Dylan turned eighty-one yesterday. I think it was either eighty-one or eighty. Um, is he that's neither here nor there. But yeah, let me ask you this question about this because I, I can't wait to actually hear those answers and see see what what what's the range? Is it sort of like 20, 20 to twenty-five percent, which is probably kind of the guess, or is it higher? Is it higher? And if it is higher, what the hell does that say? Um, here's a, here's kind of a related question. Have we, has the Canadian media ever had, or in recent times, has it had that kind of figure, that kind of figure who has this kind of attraction in terms of the way she or he, um, delivers their opinion or their shows in, on the news front? I mean, I was trying to think, like, how far back does one have to go to have captured 
something like that. I mean, where I remember thinking that, you know, and this goes way back and there have probably been better examples since, and maybe our listeners uh, will write with them. But I remember Jack Webster being one of those figures as a Canadian broadcaster. And even in Ottawa, there was a guy named Lowell Green who became quite, you know, popular, had a big audience that would tune in for, and he was a little, you know, he, these weren't shock jocks in the, in the Howard Stern, Joe Rogan mode, but they, there's similar DNA. Uh, you know, you can see a, a through line uh, from that. I don't know that there's ever been, I mean, setting aside the Sun TV experiment, which you, which you and I remember and probably watched more than anybody listening to us. Right. Um, there were some very colorful characters on that, and some of which colorful is the politest word that I would use. I mean, Ezra Klein was a big part of, not Ezra Klein, uh, Ezra Levant was a big part of that, um, yeah. that piece of, of, uh, of work called Sun TV. But oh, I don't remember any others. Do you? I don't. I, you know, I was thinking right back into the 60s and whether, you know, this hour has seven days with Laurie Lapierre and, and, and Patrick Watson had any Patrick kind Watson, of, yeah. I mean, they weren't right wingers. But they were controversial in their day. There's no question about that. And it was much watch, it most watch television, right? I mean, and now there's Rex Murphy, it. who, you know, I saw every Thursday night as you did for a long time. And yeah. he seemed like a, you know, fairly middle of the road guy. Well, he's know. always been sort of center right anyway. But, you know, I, but, but he had a support team around him. You know, and he was very good and very popular on Thursday nights, yeah. as was, you know, it was a package. It was at issue and Rex. You got them both. And uh, if you wanted to watch them both, great. If you only wanted to watch one, you had to watch them both to see one. It, it, it worked really well. Um, but he wasn't the flaming right winger that he seems to be now. Whether he's a flaming right winger or just a flaming anti Trudeau, I, I, you know, I, I, I like. Rex is a friend, um, and uh, you know was obviously when we worked together. Uh, you know, at work we were we were much closer than we, we are today. But he's a very talented guy whose talent seems to have gone <laughs> in one direction in the uh, in the last couple of years, and uh, it's it's mostly about trying to um, you know stick a fork in Justin Trudeau. So yeah, he has a lot to say about. Um indigenous people and climate change too, but that's a conversation for another day. And um, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, Um, I'm glad we had this discussion because I, I find it interesting. I know that uh, I know that our listeners are going to do so as well. And I I know I'm going to hear a lot from, uh, from some of them about their feelings on this issue, not in terms of, personalities as such but on just the 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 bigger issue of um how we're different you know we're considerably different we know we are from the americans i thought the brits would be closer in line with what's happening with the americans so that surprised me a bit and i'll be interested to see what people say about that um but listen uh thanks for doing this uh safe travels home i can just see the image of you in the Pearson Airport or the Ottawa Airport or wherever you're going to be, you know, looking for your bags. 
along <laughs> with the other hundreds, if not thousands, of other people who are wondering where their bags ended up. It is uh, they got to get a, a handle on this situation. Um, it's it's a mess. Excuse me, I got the violent case of the hiccups here. Um, anyway. We'll leave it at that for now. It's been great to talk to you. We will talk to you on uh, Friday on just before you leave, as you'll be part of uh, Good Talk, as always, with Chantel and Bruce on Fridays. So thank you, my friend. Take care. Enjoy your last you few bet, days. You bet, Peter. There. Take care. I'll right. talk to you soon. And that's it for uh, Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth for this Wednesday. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours. Thank you.